Welcome, proud members of the present, to another episode of the Primalosophy Podcast. Go to Primalosophy.com for one-on-one wellness coaching. My guest today is Warren Berger. He's a questionologist and best-selling author of A More Beautiful Question and The Book of Beautiful Questions. In this episode, we learn how to ask bigger, better, and more ambitious questions. We discuss the role of inquiry and innovation in decision-making. We talk about fostering curiosity in the classroom and getting better results in medicine through root cause questioning. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Warren. And as always, if you want to support the show, you can do so by clicking subscribe, clicking some stars, and sharing with your friends. Enjoy the episode. I was a journalist for for a number of years working for newspapers and magazines. Uh, Then I started to get into writing books. um, And uh, I initially was writing books about creativity and innovation in a more broad way. And then I started to zero in on one particular aspect of, uh, of innovation and creativity, and that was uh, asking questions. Um, and that sort of took over. Um, I wrote my first book on that about uh, six years ago, five, six years ago, and um, did well with it and then decided to stay with that subject and wrote a second book, The Book of Beautiful Questions. The first book was called A More Beautiful Question. And then I wrote the sequel, uh, The Book of Beautiful Questions. And and I go around and I talk to companies, I talk to um, schools, and uh, just my whole thing is just, you know, why is questioning important? And can we get better at it? And things of that nature. At the root of creativity is questioning, and at the root of questioning is curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. Curiosity is what well, I, I like to say that curiosity is is the itch and questioning is how we scratch the itch. So one is uh, they're very closely related, but they're not the same thing. You know, one is the condition that leads to the action. So if curiosity is there, that's the condition that's going to hopefully lead to the action of asking questions. Right. Okay. So how did questions allow you to make Texas feel like home when you first landed a job there? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I think whenever we go somewhere new, um, we have to be adaptable, you know, and that's when um, questioning becomes really important. Questioning, one of the many things questioning does is it helps us um, make sense of things. It helps us adapt. It helps us figure stuff out. So when you land in a new place, you know, you have to be willing to ask a lot of questions like, you know, how how are people different here? And they were definitely different in Texas. You know, I was coming from New York. And so it was a big culture, um, culture shock. But you have to start to look at things from other perspectives. And questioning helps you do that. You know, questioning is one of the ways you can. You can sort of shift the way you look at the world and say, hey, what if I look at this from a different point of view? And um, and so I think it helped me a little bit in terms of adapting to the culture in Texas. And it also helped me just in my job, because at that time I was a a reporter, a newspaper reporter. And so, you know, every day I had to go out and ask questions. So. um, So, yeah, it was it was it was essential. Yeah. Or another beautiful question is, how can I look at this from a beginner mind? Or if you've been in this town for so long and the hedonic adaptation has set in and you want to reignite that passion you have for your home, that's a great question. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, 
you know, you can, one of the things I talk about in the book is, is, um, you know, like beginner's mind. And also uh, you could also call it like the traveler's mind, you know, like when you're a traveler and you're in a new place, you always are more alert and more questioning, you know? Uh, and so the idea is if you could bring that traveler's mind home with you, it'd be pretty cool. Like if you could, if you could act in your hometown, the way you act when you're a traveler and be a lot more curious, be a lot more open, uh, pay attention more to what's around you. Um, that, that would, that's a huge thing. If you can do that, it's not that easy to do, you know, cause we're all so used to, I don't know, we're used to kind of going on automatic pilot, you know, especially when we're in our own town or when we're doing our job or whatever, we're, we kind of fall into these habits and patterns. But if you can get yourself to step back every now and then and say, hey, you know, what am I not noticing here? You know, um, or how can I look at this situation differently and make it fresh, make it seem like I'm seeing it for the first time? If you can do that, um, it really opens up a lot of possibilities and i think it just makes makes things more interesting yeah that's the beauty in itself of traveling is you're seeing everything with fresh eyes so your yes. your latest book the book of beautiful questions a follow-up to the best-selling a more beautiful question is this an example of today's give me the fish don't teach me to fish mentality spare me the details just give me the goods well i i think you know one of the things um that i i say about uh the questioning books is they're a little different from a lot of other books that could be called say self-help. Okay. Because a lot of self-help books are designed to give you an answer, right? Or there's designed to give you maybe a set of answers. So they're saying, okay, you have this problem. Here's what you should do. I'm going to tell you what to do about it. Now what the questioning books are doing a little differently is that they're not really giving you answers. They're saying, um, you have to find the answers yourself to whatever it is, you know, whether it's a challenge in your life or coming up with the big idea that's going to that you're going to be able to, you know, succeed on or whatever it is. You know, you have to figure it out for yourself. Nobody's going to hand you that. However, what I can tell you is that it will help you get to that answer if you start out by asking questions. In other words, that's the starting point of getting to better answers. You have to start with questions. You have to try to ask more questions. You have to try to ask better questions. Mm -hmm. You have to stay with your questions. That's really important. A lot of us ask questions, but we don't stay with them. You know, like, uh, you know, we might be walking down the street <laughs> or, you know, I think of the, there's a guy who invented a better shovel and, you know, he, he had that thing of like, you know, why hasn't someone made a better shovel, you know? better snow shovel. And so a lot of us w might say that, and then we would move on. We just, you know, we just forget about it. But he like stayed with it. You know, he stayed with that question. And he, he said, yeah, you know, what, well, if I were going to make a better snow shovel, what would I want it to be like? And how would I do it? And so he stayed with the question. And so I think all of us need to ask more questions uh, and need to stay with those questions and really work on them. And that's going to help us get to the answers that we're all looking for. Right. And that, that just reminds me of the chess player who, who doesn't just think, what's going to happen if I make this move? They're, they think second and third and fourth moves beyond that. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, you, you, well, when you're questioning, you know, you can be questioning for the short term and questioning for the long term. You know, you can do it. And I think people should, you know, they should be asking questions not only about what's going on today or what problem they need to solve right now, but they should be asking questions about, you know, what's coming. Uh, what do I think? What do I think is going to be important to me five years from now? Mm -hmm. You know, and how can I address that now? So I think that that's one of the things with questioning. It opens up all these possibilities if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to, you know, ask those kinds of questions. A lot of people are not. And you know, people have a problem with asking questions. Both They have a problem both of asking questions of other people and they have a problem sometimes asking themselves hard questions. Right. Uh, and I, I think the reason is that, well, I'll separate those two things. The reason they don't want to ask questions of other people is because they think it, I don't know, they may think it shows weakness or or that it's confrontational. Or There's all kinds of things that pe we, we get wrong about questioning. We think other people don't like it when we ask them questions. That's not true at all. People really like it when you ask them questions, as long as you ask them good questions and fair questions, respectful, as long as you do it in a respectful way. People usually like it. Uh, and then as far as the questions you ask yourself, the reason we don't want to ask ourselves big questions, I think, is because we're afraid we don't have the answers. And so then we're like, we're afraid, oh, if I ask myself a really tough question and I don't have the answer, then I'm going to be filled with doubt and I'm going to I'm just going to feel bad, you know. Right. And that I, I, I try to tell people that's the wrong attitude to have towards questions. You don't have to have the answer to big questions, but it's still important to ask them because when you ask them, you almost set something in motion. You, you start thinking about something important. Your, your brain goes to work on it. And even if you don't have the answer right now, just the fact that you're asking that question and thinking about it is going to start you in the direction, the right direction. Right. I mean, talking to ourselves makes us a crazy person, but questioning ourselves can make us genius. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, a, you know, it's, it's something everyone should do. And don't be afraid of uncertainty. You know, a lot of us are afraid of uncertainty. We're afraid of doubt. We, we think those are bad things because they give us kind of butterflies in our stomach, you know. So you have to learn to embrace those, those things, doubt, uncertainty. It's part of life. And you, you have to learn to, to live with it. You, you know, you, you don't have to have the answers all the time. You don't have to know exactly what you're doing all the time. It's okay to explore. It's okay to question. And you will, you know, you will figure it out. Questions are obviously our greatest tools, but they're tools that we leave to rust in our childhood storage. Why is that? We develop some negative attitudes toward questioning. When we're very young, it comes naturally to us to ask a lot of questions. I just think it's it's the it's a tool we've been given as human beings so that we can learn, you know, and 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 so kids are asking questions really early, you know, they, the the studies have found that you know, kids are asking questions when they're 2 years old, 3 years old, and they're asking a lot of questions. And then by the time they're 4 or 5, they're really asking a lot of questions. But then at some point later on in childhood, it starts to taper off. And then it really it starts going downhill 
And then when we're adults, you know, by the time we're adults, we're not asking as many questions at all. You know, we're, we've really, we've gotten to the point of thinking, oh, asking questions, you know, what's the point of it? Or maybe it's going to make me look like I don't know. So it'll make me look bad. Uh, so we, we develop all of these negative associations uh, with questioning as we get older. Right. So we, we lose touch with that great questioning skill we had as kids. Uh, we kind of tamp it down. And so it ends up going away. And I don't think the school system helps. You know, the education system is entirely designed to reward people having answers. Okay, so every test everyone has ever taken has been about the answers, and it's never, ever about the questions, right? You don't ever get rewarded for a good question on a test. Right. So, so the message that kids get very early is that, you know, hey, it's all, about, it's all about answers. So my job as a student is just to um, take in as many answers as I can and then repeat them back on the test. So you just become this... As a student, you just become this memorization machine, and that's your—that's what makes you a good student, the fact that you can memorize stuff. So, you know, this is what we're teaching kids, and that within that framework, questioning does not become very important. It's sort of seen as a, an afterthought. Well, yeah, I mean, I can remember in school, you know, feeling lost, but I, not wanting to ask questions out of fear of slowing things down. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the problem is like that's the, the message kids get is that, you know, if you have to ask a question, all right, I'll, we'll tolerate it. But, you know, I'd rather as the teacher, I'd rather move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. I want to move on to the next thing I want to talk about. And if you ask me a question, I can't move on to the next thing. So. Kids pick up all of this stuff. I mean, even the teacher doesn't have to say that in so many words. Just by the teacher's actions, the kid will pick up that message. Right. And so the message is, you know, don't slow things down. Don't create a distraction. Uh, and then the other message is, the other fear is just, you know, well, gee, none of the other students are asking questions. So if I ask a question, that must mean there's something wrong with me. You know, so kids are getting all this negative stuff around questioning in their heads. And it's no wonder that they they start to, uh, you know, they, they stop they stop asking. And of course, what we know now and what's becoming increasingly clear is that when you get out into the business world, that business of memorizing, that's not going to do you that much good. Like the people who really succeed in the in the business world are the questioners, mm -hmm. you know, the people who are inventing stuff, the people who are figuring out new solutions to things. They're the people who are going to be very successful, not the people who simply memorize or master certain tasks and do it over and over again. Those people are, are in yesterday's world. I mean, they're factory workers, you know, so they're not going to have the kind of opportunities that a, a questioner has. So I think we're teaching kids totally the wrong things um, when it comes to answers and questions. And, you know, we really need to shake up that, that model. 
Yeah, that's a great way to tie in the educational system and it's how it was developed during that in those industrial times. But in defense of teachers and also parents, you know, I don't have kids, but I think it, doesn't there have to be a limit to how many whys deserve an answer? How many times can we ask why until we get fed up? I mean, that's just only natural. Well, well, one thing to know about kids is that is that, they, you know, they have all kinds of motives for what they're doing. So when they're asking why over and over again, um, part of it is curiosity. Part of it may be they may be playing with you. You know, they may be playing a game um, and part of it may be just to see what they can get away with. How many times they can ask why before you're gonna you're gonna go crazy? Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff going on when kids are doing that endless why, and I think um, you know one of the things that uh, there's an interesting thing that was developed in the business world called the five whys, which was uh, the Toyota Motor Company developed this system where they said you know when we have a problem we're going to try to ask why five times to get to the root of the problem. But we won't go past that. We won't keep going because it could go on forever. So, you know, maybe that's a good rule to teach your kids. I don't know. Maybe you could have a five wise rule yeah. uh, or, or a three wise rule where you, you get to ask why a few times and then at some point you just you just got to stop because it could go on forever. Yeah, at least give them those five whys before you hit them with the because I said so. That's what kills yeah, that's, the child's curiosity. You will end up getting you may end up getting to because I said so at some point. But uh, at least give them a little room to explore. Right. So that's what that's how we can kill a child's curiosity. And then in the same way, how we kill an adult's questioning is by hitting them with the that's how we've always done it or that's just how it works. Yeah, that's and that's what a lot of companies do. And that's why employees uh, don't tend to ask a lot of questions because, you know, they're they, they're they're sort of told, well, there's no reason to ask questions here. We we know how we do things. We've got a system in place. Um, you just figure it out, memorize it, and just do it. And the problem is if your company or your organization operates that way, you will not be innovative. You will not, nothing will change. You'll just keep doing things the same way forever. That doesn't work for most companies, especially today. Uh, you can't just like, it's like you can't just like build a, a better mousetrap and then just do that over and over again and just have that same mousetrap forever. And you're always going to, be a profitable company because of that one mousetrap that somebody once invented. It doesn't work that way anymore. Like now, when you invent a, a better mousetrap, well, you know, a month later, somebody else has invented one even better than yours. And so now you have to go back and reinvent. So it's like, I think companies have to have to understand that in order to be innovative, and they have to be innovative, they can't have these rigid uh, attitudes policies, rules, they can't have that stuff because it's like that is going to tell people a different message. It's going to tell people, we don't want innovation. We just want you to do things our way. Yeah, and that holds progress. So great innovators ask great questions. And this goes all the way back to Socrates and Socratic questioning, using using that to challenge irrational thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Socrates, you know, was one of the one of the, the all-time great questioners. Um you know, Einstein, one of the all time great questioners. I mean, if you, you look back through history and you see a lot of these people who who changed the world, um, you know, Steve Jobs, great questioner. Uh, a lot of these people who changed the world, they started by asking questions and they you know, if you think about it, it makes sense because innovation and change often starts with someone looking at the status quo 
and just questioning it and saying, you know, why should we do it this way? Or does this really make sense? Isn't there a better way? Yeah. And so that kind of questioning ends up being at the root of innovation. And yeah. it's, in a way, that's really obvious. But, you know, at the time I wrote my book five or six years ago, A More Beautiful Question, nobody was talking about that. <laughs> you know, like, like nobody was talking about the role of questioning in innovation. And everybody talked about innovation as being like breakthroughs, ideas, things that pop into your head all of a sudden, you know, like an, like an epiphany, a bolt from the blue. That was the way people talked about innovation. And so, you know, one of the things I was trying to say is, well, yeah, you know, there are ideas that come into your head, but it all starts with questioning. And that's the reason those ideas come along is because you've been asking questions, you've been looking or you've been looking at something, you've been wondering about it, you've been challenging it, and then later on you start to get ideas for how to do it differently. So yeah. It's a really important role, that first step. Innovation is like that first step. Uh, I mean, questioning. Questioning is like that first step that somebody has to take before the innovation process gets started. Yeah, this is the Aristotle style of reasoning from first principles. It gets us thinking and gets us outside of those mental prisons and conditioning. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. And, you know, it's we've lost touch with that a little bit, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not only about innovation, it's about critical thinking. So if, if you're not doing questioning, not only does it uh, lessen your ability to innovate, it also affects things like your basic decision-making, uh, the choices you make, the political choices you make, all of those things get affected by a lack of critical thinking and a lack of critical thinking is really about not asking questions and not asking the right questions. If, if you're not asking the right questions, then you're not a critical thinker. And this is so powerful in medicine. We see root cause questioning is much more effective at healing than just prescribing drugs, which could be considered the equivalent to here's an answer. You just you yeah. know, pop some of these pills. We're not accepting chronic disease as the new norm for humans. We're going to challenge that assumption by asking, how do I know this to be true? And so on. Yeah. And, and, and with, you know, with something like in the medical world, it's like you could look at symptoms as being the most uh, obvious on the surface issue, mm -hmm. right? That has to be dealt with. But there are only through questioning do you get to, okay, what's behind these symptoms? Um, what might be going on that the symptoms are not showing? Um, you know, what is the lifestyle that might be contributing to this problem that the person's having? So what, what it's very similar to what I was talking about earlier with um, in the business world using the five whys, you know, in the business world, you might use it to try to figure out, gee, why is this product not functioning properly? And you would use the five whys to maybe to figure out, well, okay, why, why, is it, uh, why is it not working well? Because the, uh, the, the, the guy on the assembly line didn't uh, put it together right. Well, why didn't he put it together right? Okay, why is he getting insufficient training? Why is it difficult for him to do that? 
the same thing is true in medicine. You know, you have to like use the why questions to dig deeper and beneath that surface issue. And oftentimes all we want to deal with is the surface issue. Okay, there's a this person has these symptoms. If I give him this pill, it will relieve those symptoms. But we're not going deeper and saying, okay, why does why are those symptoms there? You know, and and questioning the behaviors, the lifestyle, all the things that could be contributing to that. Yeah, the quality of the question would directly correlate with the quality of patient care in that scenario. So yeah, it's a huge issue in the medical in the medical field, and I think doctors are starting to understand the role of questioning. And, and you know, doctors um, have that problem that a lot of uh, experts have. A lot of experts uh, don't want to deal with questioning, you know, because they feel like, okay, I'm the expert. Uh, my role is to tell you what to do. And there's really not a lot of room for questioning here. You know, I'm the person who knows. You're the person I'm going to tell the answer to, and that's it. And so doctors have been, a lot of them have been pretty bad when it comes to questioning. I, I, I've had this experience firsthand. I don't know if you have, you know, where you go to a doctor and you ask the doctor a question and they almost like wave you off before you even finish your question. Like they don't, they really don't want to hear your questions, you know? So I think doctors are starting to understand that, you know, that's not a good approach. Uh, you need to hear those questions. First of all, you as a doctor need to be questioning more. You need to ask your patients more questions, but you also need to make room for their questions. You know, like they're going to have questions for you and you better listen to them because those questions are going to, first of all, they're going to help the patient to be more informed and more engaged. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's very similar to the situation with students in school. You know, the teachers need to make room for the students' questions. The doctors need to make room for the patients' questions. Yep. And in defense of doctors, on average, they have about seven minutes to spend with each patient. So, again, it's a time thing at the yeah, root of is. that issue. Yeah. Just as same as with teachers. Teachers also have too much material to cover. And so that's part of, that's part of what squeezes out the questioning. Yeah, so a method in the book that is crucial to deepening our understanding is looking at the other side of our opinions and asking questions, because not only does this help expose holes in our thinking and our argument, but also helps us connect with people and see where they're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think of it as, number one, questioning can help you um, with your own critical thinking, your own biases. We all have a lot of biases that we're not aware of. It's really hard to necessarily um, see your own biases because they're kind of invisible to each of us. But you can use questioning to almost test yourself and test your biases, you know. Um, and just by asking yourself questions like, um, how do I tend to react in certain situations? Or how do I, what, is, what seems to be my default position that I, that I often come to on this issue or that issue? When you ask yourself those questions, you can start to see patterns in the way you think. And then when you start to see patterns, what you may what you may begin to become aware of is biases, you know. So by asking ourselves questions in that way, by questioning our own thinking, just simply asking yourself, why do I think the way I think? You know, I tend to always have this opinion or this reaction on that issue. Where's that coming from? What's the basis of that? Um, 
how how solid is that? Do I really believe in that? Have I really thought it through? So if we ask those kinds of questions, we can really help ourselves be better uh, critical thinkers. And then at the same time, as you as you mentioned, it's a relationship issue. You know, if if we're willing to to question our own positions a little bit, and we're willing to ask questions about the other person's point of view, um, it can it can open up a better dialogue. It can it can create better conversation. You've got to do it well. You've got to do it respectfully, though. Um, you can't ask obnoxious questions. You know, like there's a kind of questioning that's not. I call it counterfeit questions. They're not real questions. They're fake. Like, uh, what were you thinking when you did that? Or how on earth could you believe such a thing? You know, when you ask a question like that, that's not a good question because it's really just like criticism right. disguised as a question. So you don't want to do that. You want to ask questions. If you're trying to build a relationship or have a dialogue with somebody, you want to make sure your questions are genuine that they have real curiosity behind them and that you really care about the answer. You're not just asking a question to make a point or to criticize somebody or something like that. Yeah, and, and as a interviewer or podcast host now, this is more apparent than ever to me. And, and also just as a fan of other people's shows is you can really gauge that when they're genuine or being disingenuous in their in their questioning. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there's all kinds of agendas that can be loaded into questions um and you know uh sometimes the agenda could be just to show how smart you are you know so so you hear sometimes you hear people ask questions you know i go to these uh these film um these uh film uh, seminars sometimes where you'll have film students in the audience and they want to ask a question of the um the film director who's up on the stage and it's hilarious because their questions are never really questions their questions are always designed to show show off a little bit and to say, well, I've I've studied the films of so and so. And I always thought that blah, blah, blah. So they'll go into this long thing that supposedly is a question. But really, it's all about showing off something that they want to they want to show off to that person on the stage. So there's all kinds of agendas that people can put into their questions. And what I say is, you know, it's not a good question unless it has the, the most important ingredient. And the most important ingredient is curiosity, right? Every good question should be rooted in curiosity, meaning it's all about wanting to know something. It's all about wanting to learn something. That's what makes it a good question. Yeah, and we are all signaling in one way or another. And I would rather signal to you that I'm really interested and appreciative of your work rather than signal to you, hey, give me as much good information as you can to show my audience that I'm that I'm good at what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so I, I just think, you know, that that's something for everyone to keep in mind about their own questions. Um, you know, just try to load them up with curiosity. The other thing to keep in mind when you're asking other people questions, sometimes it can it can get into, um, uh, you know, areas that can be a little uh, challenging, like at work, you may want to ask somebody, you know, uh, why are they taking that particular approach at work? Well, that could put someone on the defensive, you know, like, uh, you know, why are you doing it that way? The person could easily say, well, who are you to ask me, you know, why I do things the way I do them? So the way to get around that is to simply, again, express curiosity as much as you can say, you just can start off by saying, hey, I'm curious about something, you know, 
You can also uh, soften questions by um, adding a rationale onto the end of them. So you ask somebody, hey, I'm curious about uh, why you do this thing the way you do it. And the rationale would part would be where you say, and the reason I ask you that is because I've, I've had some challenges with that myself and I'm trying to get better at it. So now you've given them not only, you know, you've not only shown them that your question is coming from curiosity, but you've, you've also showed them, you know, that there's a real reason, real strong reason why you care. And so you can do things like that and it helps make questioning more, um, uh, less confrontational to other people. Because uh, you do have to worry about that sometimes. It's funny, people people sometimes get put, they get their back up when you question them, you know. They think, well, what is this person doing? Why Why are they asking me questions? Are they trying to, are they trying to criticize me or are they trying to, you know, uh, do something to me? So I think be aware of that when you're asking other people questions. Try to do it with some respect. Try to do it with, uh, you know, with genuine curiosity. Yeah, that's great advice because we all need mentors, but often we're afraid to approach them with these questions because of that. So, yeah, so yeah, th yeah, thanks for sharing that. So there are hundreds of sample questions for every situation included in the book. One that I really like, what would I try if I knew I could not fail? Why is this such a powerful question? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. It goes back, uh, you know, probably 30, 40 years, and it was a, a pastor who uh, originally asked it, a, a television uh, 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 a pastor. And um, it, it's been embraced in Silicon Valley now. It's, it's a really popular question with innovators. The reason that question is, is, um, is really useful is because when you ask that question, uh, what would I attempt to do if I couldn't fail, if I knew I couldn't fail, um, it removes the fear of failure uh, it, even it might only be doing it temporarily, right? This is just a temporary thing. But what you want to do is you want to just get failure out of the way so you can think about things in a really bold way, in a big, bold way. So you say, you're saying to yourself, if I take failure out of the equation, like there's no way I could fail, then what would I try to do? And now this enables you to come up with some really bold, big, bold ideas now, after you do that, you have to almost go back and and say, okay, now I have to come back to reality. And in reality, there is the possibility I could fail. So how does that affect these big ideas I came up with? Um, you know, does it mean that the ideas don't make sense or does it mean that I might have to factor factor in some things as I pursue these big ideas? So it's just simply designed, that question is just simply designed to free you up, uh, take away the fear of failure a little bit so you can be freer. Yeah, yeah. It's a common form of questioning uh, where you, you use questioning to sort of remove the constraints and allow you to think more freely. Uh, you can also use questioning in a weird way. You can do the opposite and you can use questioning to place constraints on your thinking so that you think about something in a different way. So here's an example of that. What if I only had 24 hours to live? What would I do? Mm -hmm. So that is an example of using a question to place constraints on you. You're placing the constraint of 24 hours, you know, and what it does is it forces you to really focus in on what's important, right? Yeah. So that it's an interesting thing you can do with questioning and constraints. You can either use them to take the constraints away or you can use them to put constraints on 
Either way, what you're doing is you're using you're kind of using questions to temporarily manipulate reality so that you can think in a different way. Right. So, for example, you know, the question of what would make my conversation later on today with Warren just beautiful and, and entertaining for the listeners and then kind of use reverse order thinking uh, and, and think maybe uh, maybe if I ask questions that come from the heart and, and ask genuine questions. Right. Exactly. Yep. Cool. So to avoid the echo chamber, we need critical questioners. What commonalities besides curiosity and inquisitiveness do they share? Um, I think questioners have a certain fearlessness about them, you know, that they are um, they're willing to live with uh, some doubt. Um, they're willing to ask questions that maybe other people are shy of asking. So um, they're willing to be laughed at, you know, because sometimes when you ask questions, especially if you ask fundamental questions like why are we doing the things we're doing? When you do that, you open yourself up to criticism. You open yourself up to somebody saying, oh, what a stupid question that is, you know, or what is that? Doesn't that person know what's going on? Why are they asking such basic questions? So you, you have to have the, uh, the kind of the courage to withstand that sort of criticism. So those are some of the things. And then, and then I think just, um, you know, the, the, the great questioners, um, they have a certain uh, sense of adventure. Uh, they, they, they're looking for, to explore. They're explorers. Questioners are explorers. So they have that aspect to their personality as well. Yeah, so that willingness to look stupid early on can really drive the success later on. Yeah, it, it's, it's really important. Um, the, uh, one, of the, one of the people who I interviewed, uh, a, a, a world-famous, really great designer, Bruce Mao, um, he, he always talked about the phrase stupid questions. And he said, people have to be willing to ask stupid questions. And, um, and what he meant by that is just that, not that the question really is stupid, but that it might seem stupid to other people. Mm -hmm. So you, when you ask that fundamental question, other people are going to say, you know, that's a dumb question. And uh, I think there was another innovator, I can't recall who, who said, you know, every innovation started out as a crazy idea, right? So you have to be willing to ask that question that is either seen as crazy or stupid or just, you know, why are you bothering? Why are you slowing us down? Why are you asking such fundamental stuff? You know, you have to be willing to do that in order to ask the questions that will lead to a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. So be curious and, and fearless. Awesome. So besides being a lover of fine questions, what else are you a connoisseur of? Oh, I, I love travel. I love wine. I love uh, reading good, uh, good books both fiction and nonfiction. I love television these days. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm watching way too much television. Uh, so yeah, all, all of that, all of that is, is all stuff I'm into. So when you're staring at a bottle of wine, what questions do you have to make sure that it qualifies as something that you're interested in? Uh, you know, it's, it, I, I look at things like the, the packaging, the label. I find that there's a very strong correlation between the, uh, the design of the uh, of the label and the uh, the quality of the wine, uh, and it's 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 an interesting thing. And you would think that people would have figured that out by now, and and the uh, the everyone would have uh, 
uh, labels that that look great, but it's actually not the case. It's actually still the case that people have to care enough about what they're doing to actually design a good label, it turns out. That's a great point. Now, speaking of wine, if you could have a drink with anyone in history, who would you choose and why? Um, I think I would, one of the people I'd want to have a drink with would be Einstein. And the reason is that um, I find myself in my work on questioning constantly quoting Einstein. But the problem is I'm quoting him like, like, you know, through uh, third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand, you know, uh, sourcing. And, uh, and you know, there's, there are all these Einstein quotes floating around now. And you never know which ones, it's hard to know which sometimes which ones are real and which ones are, are accurate. So I would love to be able to talk to Einstein about questioning and about some of the great things he said about questioning. Number one, just to verify that he really said it but also to then dig deeper and talk about why he said some of the things he said about questioning. I mean, he talked about, you know, uh, curiosity being a holy, a holy thing. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I would love to talk about why he considers curiosity holy. He talked about how, uh, Einstein talked about how if, if he had an hour to solve a problem, he would spend most of that hour making sure he was getting the question right. You know, so he was just a huge uh, believer in questioning. And I would also love to ask Einstein questions like because he was so great at figuring stuff out. Like I would love to ask him if he could could come up with a formula for how to arrive at the best question. Like what's the formula behind assembling a great question? And I would love to know if Einstein would have a theory on that. What would your answer to that question be for a formula? Um, you know, I, my feeling is that there is no formula per se. I, 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 I haven't been able to find one. I think assembling, putting together a great question is often situational. Um, so sometimes a great question can be really simple and it can just be, you know, why are we doing that? You know, uh, but sometimes a great question can be really complex. It can have like four parts to it, you know, and it can say, if we take into account this, but at the same time, if we also do that, then what would happen if we did this? So, you know, the question could be really complicated and be an amazing, beautiful question, or it can be really simple. So I, I'm, I'm having trouble. It's something I think about a lot because everyone always asks me, oh, how do we make better questions? So I, I'm always working on this challenge. Is there a formula? Is there a way to construct uh, better questions? And there are certain rules, there are certain things you can do, but I don't know that there's a formula. So last question for you, what are your daily non-negotiables, things that no matter what will always be done? Uh, for me, there's just the main thing is um, I always want to make time to unplug and think. Now, during that period when I'm unplugging and thinking, I may also uh, write. It may also lead me to write. And hopefully it will. I try to write as often as I can. But at the very least, I want to have quiet time to think and to plan and to uh, and to possibly create. Um, I think that's really important for all of us today to try to do that, because the temptation is to just be connected at all times 
and to be always working on the now, uh, working on whatever the problem is that has come up in the last five minutes, uh, whatever the thing is, the message that I have to respond to or whatever. That's the world we live in right now. And, and it's really hard to pull yourself out of it. But I think you have to do it because in order for our brains to really think, to really be able to think deeply, we got to get a, a little separation from all of the noise and distractions. So one of the things that's a non-negotiable for me is, you know, finding that quiet time, uh, uh, unplugging, uh, going into my cave, so to speak, and just, you know, using that time to, to get some deep thinking done. Awesome, man. So everybody go out and get the book of beautiful questions and a more beautiful question. Where else should people go if they want to connect with you and keep up with what you're doing? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is GlimmerGuy, at, at GlimmerGuy, uh, all one word, uh, G-L-I-M-M-E-R-G-U-Y. Uh, and then my main site is AmoreBeautifulQuestion.com. So if you go on AmoreBeautifulQuestion.com, uh, basically you'll find all kinds of stuff about questioning, you know, everything you ever wanted to know, uh, articles, uh, research, um, you can take a quiz and find out what kind of a questioner you are. Um, I even have a list of songs that have questions for the title. And uh, so if anyone knows a song that has a question for the title, like, do you know the way to San Jose? You know, if you have a, a question uh, uh, title song that's not on my list already, uh, please send it in. I'm trying to make that list as comprehensive as I can. Very cool. All right, Warren, thank you so much for the conversation. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great talking to you. I really enjoyed it. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media at Primalosophy. And if you want to subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Sunday Goods, you can find the link in the show notes. Shakoba.